Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Oh yeah, it's that time again. We're back for another week and oh, this is going to be a rough one, guys. You're going to have to bear with me in this one because I got some bad news for you. A lot of you folks that have been taking action might be putting yourselves in harm's way and possibly setting yourself up for a massive failure. Now, I'm gonna, the purpose of this episode is those of you that have already gone a little too far and you, some of these things have happened to you, maybe it's not too late. Maybe we can straighten that out a little bit. Maybe we can make that a better situation for you. Regardless, we're going to try either way. And for those of you that haven't taken any action, well, I guess if you don't take any action, you got nothing to lose. That said, if you're going to take some action, please heed the warnings and the advice that I'm going to give you in this episode. It's very, very important. This is one of these episodes. It probably would be a bad idea to listen to this more than once. I'm going to drop a lot of information in a very short period of time. I'm going to try to keep this as short as I possibly can, but I want to drive this home. might be asking, why in the world are you setting up this episode anyway? What's the story? What happened? Well, the reality, folks, is that some some weird stuff's been happening. I shouldn't say weird. Some things that are less than desirable, unsavory, let's say. There are some folks in the industry, in the real estate industry, that are, well, I'm gonna, for the purposes of this episode, I'm going to call them deal sponsors or sponsors. And because we can, we easily use the word investor and we use that interchangeably. So for investor tonight or today, I'm going to try to make this so that the word investor is those who are actually putting money in the deal. And the sponsor is the person that the money is receiving the money. Okay. Lately, I've had a couple different sponsors. These are people out there that have made a name for themselves. They've built no like and trust. They've established, learned how to get leads and they have an easy time attracting capital. Lots of folks reach out to them and put money in deals. The problem is, is that these folks have done deals lately where they're not working out the way everybody intended them to do. And what happens when the, we run into this situation is, well, usually people freak the hell out. Can't say as I blame them. I mean, if I find out that my money's gone or I'm not hearing back from investors, that's, you know, from my, uh, my sponsors, that's a problem. Okay. So I'm going to start this episode by saying this. If you are the type of person that is not good at communication, please do not raise private money unless you have somebody on your team who is very deeply ingrained and is actually out there and handling the money who is a good communicator. Because here's what will happen, folks. When you don't communicate with your investors, your capital partners, your financial friends, whatever you call them, they are going to freak the hell out. That's to be expected. And when they freak out, well, number one, you deserve it so you can't bitch. You really can't blame them for it because you didn't communicate, okay? Now, I can tell you that lack of communication causes probably 99% of problems in real estate, okay? 99% of problems in the real estate space come from lack of communication, people not effectively communicating with each other. Sometimes that's the fault of the sponsor. Sometimes that's the fault of the investor. Sometimes it's the brokers. Maybe it's the lender, whoever. But when you have a breakdown in communication, you are heading down a slippery slope, okay, starting out. So that said, if you suck at communicating, if your wife is constantly yelling at you saying, hey, you never communicate with me, you don't talk to me, you don't ever say anything, well, maybe you shouldn't be raising money. <laughs> and if she's good at communicating, maybe she's the one that needs to be out raising capital. That's talking to those investors. How about that? So I'm going to ask you first off, who are you really working with, okay? Who are you working with? as a deal sponsor. So let's talk about if you're a capital partner for a second. You're somebody that's bringing the money, you're the investor, you're bringing money to the deal. Number one, ask yourself this question, who are you really working with? I don't care how big their podcast is or how fancy their YouTube channel looks. You need to dig a little deeper and here's why. One of the people that I'm talking about is a pretty successful podcaster. No, it's not me. A pretty successful podcaster in the podcasting space. People judged whether or not to do business with this person 
basically based on the fact that their podcast is all over the place, right? People know this person and therefore wind up liking and trusting this person and then do business with them. And then things don't work out that way. They seem suddenly shocked. It's like, well, if the only thing you use to qualify the person you do business with is the fact that they have a podcast, well, (laughs) let me tell you, you might want to rethink that qualifier. Okay. Another one is a YouTuber. The YouTuber's got a big fancy YouTube channel and got, I don't know, Tens of thousands. I haven't really looked at the subscriber count, but I know it's up there. It's probably at least 40, 50,000 subscribers or more. Maybe it's over 100. I don't remember offhand. It doesn't matter. What matters is they're pretty popular, pretty successful on YouTube. So much so that I, when I use uh, algorithms, to, I use software called TubeBuddy, which is basically uh, it's a software that helps me look at what my competitors are doing. Right, I want to offer hack and whatnot. So this guy's pretty successful on YouTube, and he's one of the people that the, the, the software pops up as a competitor for me. So I can look at how he tags his videos and things like that and see if I can get the same sort of views. Because even though I'm wildly successful in podcasting, YouTube, not so much. I know that's the that, why, because I don't put up enough videos up. It is what it is. I digress. My point is this. these folk, A lot of folks that have invested money with these two individuals have based their investment decision on the fact that they're everywhere in social media or that they have a podcast or a YouTube channel. That's not a criteria, folks. Okay? At least it shouldn't be. Folks that invest with us, with, with Jill and I, it's based on us developing a relationship with them, okay? I, the podcast doesn't matter and shouldn't matter when it comes to folks choosing to invest with us. Does it help them learn more about us? Of course. But I encourage all of our investors to peel back that curtain and run a background check on us. Do a criminal history check. You can go into records in the state of Florida. There's a statewide uh, record search. You can search for civil lawsuits. You can search for criminal cases. Had folks done this for these two folks, they would have realized that there's a whole bunch of judgments, hundreds of thousands of dollars in judgments in place against these investors or these sponsors rather that could have came up as a red flag. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say just because somebody's got judgments against them means that they're a scumbag because that's not the case. Sometimes people don't show up in court. Maybe they got sick. Who knows? Bottom line is you have at least you're educated on, on who you're dealing with and that you can go ask questions. Okay. Well, gee, Jimmy, I see that you have 17 judgments against you. You want to kind of explain what's going on there? Because understand that those people that have judgments, technically, legally, I'm no attorney, but they could get in line before you when it comes time to get paid, which means you guys do a great deal together. And maybe this person's like the greatest deal sponsor in the whole world. Well, they hit a windfall. Let's say they're going to make, I don't know, half a million dollars and they have all these judgments. Well, those judgments could very well get in the way of you getting paid. Understand that. Now, those laws vary based on uh, locality and state and, and how your structures are set up. But this is something that you're going to want to look at. Now, if these people have open, unpaid judgments, maybe they're getting ready for bankruptcy. Maybe if they didn't show up to court, maybe that's waving a flag that they're just letting judgments stack up so they can declare bankruptcy. Because in some states, I believe actually anywhere in the country, that it, certain judgments, as long as they're not considered criminal, can be written off with bankruptcy. Again, I'm not an attorney. That's not legal advice. Check with an attorney, but that may be a logic. Maybe that if that's not the case, maybe they think that's the case. Okay. So understand that a lot of operators out there, they're feeling pressure to do deals. You see, they're raising money, but they don't have any deals. Well, it's probably because they're not getting the right type of leads, right? We do a lot of marketing. And when I tell you folks about marketing, it's two-sided. You're always marketing for money and you're always marketing for deals or for opportunity, not necessarily deals, but for opportunity, opportunity turns into deals, okay? Because you sit down and negotiate with folks. When there's an imbalance, let's say you have more capital than you do opportunity, 
There are some folks out there that under pressure, they feel pressure. I'm not taking the blame off of them because they're still at blame because they actually pulled the trigger. They use that pressure. They want to be the cool kids club or they want to invest this guy's money and start getting oh, some returns better than no return at all. That type of logic. When you start hearing these things or worse, you start thinking these things. This is where you slide down that slippery slope. This is where these deal sponsors get themselves in hot water. This is where you as the capital investor wind up getting yourself in hot water. Maybe it's even worse. Maybe you're one of those folks that's out raising money for other people's deals. Now you are in the middle of this mess. And guess what? You didn't properly vet the sponsor. You got all starry eyed and fell in love because they got a podcast. And because they got a podcast, well, they must be a rock star because they've got a podcast. Let me tell you something, folks. You can start a podcast with a $60 microphone. Hell, you can start a podcast with a cell phone. You don't even need any equipment. You frankly don't need any talent if you listen to any podcasts lately. There's a lot of podcasts out there, no talent. Anybody, including you, can start a podcast tomorrow that doesn't make you good at investing. It makes you good on a microphone. There's a big difference. Understand that even though I've been in this business for a long time, I make mistakes. I've done bad deals. I've lost money. <gasps> yes, it's happened. But I'm human. Do I have judgments against me? No. Feel free to check. Here's the thing, folks. Doing a background check on who you're going to do business with Shouldn't cost you more than about a hundred bucks tops. You can, there's all kinds of services out there. Um, there's, there's one with, uh, I think it's Experian or TransUnion. They do it. It's a tenant check. And that service alone, I think it's like 60 bucks or something like that. That will give you judgments and court cases and evictions and a lot of their, their credit history and things like that. It's worth your time and effort to have that information pulled. You might be saying, well, they won't give me the information, Tyler. Well, here's the thing. Or I don't, I'll feel stupid if I have to ask them. Are you going to feel more stupid by asking them for the information to double check who they are? Or are you going to feel dumber by sitting there when your friends are going, so how'd that investment go in that bridge over the Everglades? And you're going, well, I lost all my money because I'm an idiot because I didn't spend a hundred bucks or less to do a background check, a criminal check, a judgment check on who I'm doing business with. If you're going to write a check, ladies and gentlemen, then you need to do checks. Okay. So do checks before you write checks. Check on people, pull the public records. You can do a lot of it for free if you got the time. You can sit down. Let's say, for example, I live in Florida. Okay, I live in Pinellas County, Florida, Pinellas County. So some people say it. You can go on to the clerk of court in Pinellas County. You can type in my name and you can see everything that's ever happened with me. Okay. You can see everything that's ever happened with my ex-wife, my current wife, my daughters, my mother, my dad, Everything. You can see traffic tickets. You can see uh, I had a bankruptcy back in 2002, I think it was. Um, I had a bankruptcy. I had a foreclosure back in 2001. You can see all that, right? It's all there. It's all part of the public record. You can actually go down and order the documents and read them. So there's no question over someone's character because you can't really believe everything you read on like bigger pockets or forums and things like that because people get mad. They get disgruntled, whatever. You got to go for the facts. The best place to find the facts is the court records because that's a that's a, a record of what's actually taken place. Okay, uh, if I go to court for something, I have the opportunity in this country. Last time I checked, to go defend myself. Now, granted, some people don't show up to court, don't defend themselves. I can't help them. But the bottom line is, when you go off of actual factual data, you'll be surprised what you find out. Do this with yourself. Okay, take yourself, your own name, and search in your local county clerk, court clerk. Now, every county is different. Some are, are more challenging to get information than others. But think of who your favorite real estate person is and do a background check on them. Spend the money just to see how it works. Now, when they ask for date of birth and things like that, and if people aren't willing to give that information, well, then maybe you shouldn't write them a check. Maybe you shouldn't write them a check. I think people think, well, if they're afraid they're going to get their identity stolen. <laughs> Here's the deal. You're going to get, if somebody wants to steal your identity, they don't need your date of birth. 
They don't need your social security number. It's not hard to get your identity stolen. Russians do it all the time, right? So when it comes to investing money, I don't want to hear the excuse of, oh, I'm worried about you and my identity being stolen. Finding somebody's date of birth is not rocket science, okay? Not rocket science at all. You can do that with about 20 bucks online real easy. You know, somebody has got a TLO account, they can give you more information than you'd ever want put out there. Your credit history, everything, the whole nine yards. It's not worth losing money trying to save a couple hundred bucks or embarrassment. I'm telling you, it's not. Because you're going to feel really bad when you lose your own money and worse, someone else's. Which brings me to, there's a lot of folks out there right now that maybe don't have enough capital to invest themselves and they're out raising money from other people to invest in a third-party person's deal. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, nothing wrong with that. The problem is, is we find folks that are out there that are getting... Their concern is how many doors they have, because how many doors they have in some circles gives, they feel gives them credibility. So although they have the greatest intentions available, their heart's in the right place. They're trying their best to get in, get in with the, the cool kids club by doing more, doing couple deals, raising money for experienced or people that present themselves to be experienced syndicators or deal sponsors. So they're going out there and finding people they know or people they've networked with and talking these folks into investing in somebody else's deal. Here's the problem with this, though. These folks, in most cases, have no control over the deal itself. Now, I'll be honest with you. I tried raising money for other folks' deals, and I've had challenges with it. Why do I have challenges with it? Well, because, number one, I am not going to put your money into somebody else's deal unless I have some control over that deal. If I don't have a say in what goes on, if I can't see full due diligence and full transparency, if I don't have the ability to get your money back, then your money is not going in that deal. So that's why I no longer raise money for other people's deals. I don't do it because of that lack of transparency. Now, what I'm seeing, folks, is I had one one guy, and he's a good dude. He's a real he's a real good guy. But he was raising money for someone else's deal, and they were not willing to share who the property management company was going to be on the deal, or who the property management was on the deal, or they weren't willing to share information about the property. It's like, wait a minute, you want me to give you money sight unseen? And another one where they wanted to raise money, wanted me to to come up with about I think it was like two hundred fifty thousand, whatever, to invest in a deal, but it was for the due diligence money. And I started looking at the breakdown of the charges with the due diligence cost, and they were getting fleeced the due diligence costs. The due diligence costs were well into the six figures, just in due diligence, that's not including the earnest money, for a relatively small apartment building. So I said to the person, I was like, well, first of all, the whoever's running this deal is doesn't have any experience, or they're padding the numbers, one or the other, because they're getting fleeced. If, this, if, that's, if these numbers listed here even come close to the actual costs, somebody should go to prison for charging that much. It made no sense. Now, I know that because I'm an experienced operator. I've done lots of deals. I've owned lots of property. I'm not the guy that's investing with 55 other people that's patting myself on the back because I got 600 doors. I'm the guy that's actually signing the contracts. I'm the guy that's hiring and firing the management teams. I'm the guy that's actually boots on the ground solving the problems. I'm running the show. That's the difference. And the problem here is is you have a lot of folks out there that are not in any way in that capacity. They have no control over anything in the deal, none whatsoever. They are simply one little fish in a big pond bringing your money into a deal without any constructive control. So that's one question you want to ask when someone is suggesting that you put your hard-earned money into a deal to find your control. What control do you have in this deal? Where do you sit? Well, I'm part of the general partnership. Okay, how much of the general partnership are you? Oh, I'm 3%, 5%, 10%. Well, guess what? You're a nobody in the deal. 
you got nothing. If things go wrong, Mr. Jones, you, there's no way in hell you can get my money back. I'm on my own. Now, last time I checked, you're probably not raising money for free. You're getting a, a fee out of this, maybe some equity in the deal. Maybe you're getting some cash flow, whatever. It doesn't matter. But you're getting paid with no responsibility after the money comes in. Once I write my check, you've got your equity in this deal. That comes out of the available equity that could be shared with the investors. Again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that portion of it. But what I'm saying is there is no effective control. And when you have no control, well, we got problems. So why would you, this person even, what value are they bringing to the equation to you as the investor? That's a question you're going to want to ask. And that's a question that it's a tough one to answer. Because what they're basically doing is kind of wholesaling a deal, but not really. It's not worth investing money in a deal, folks, if you if the deal cannot prove itself. And this is a big one for me. And as I say this, I just realized this is going to be a long episode, so strap in because it's going to be a long one. I'm going to get on a, a, a tangent here. I would venture to say that 90% of the deals that have been run across my desk in the last two years will never meet their objective. That means the syndicator, the sponsor, what they put out to the public as the intended outcome is not going to happen. There's a 90% chance that it will not perform as expected because the projections that they've made have no basis to go on. They're not based in fact. They're not based in data that's irrelevant. They're not able to answer simple questions like, how is this going to happen? They're comparing old, inaccurate data, if anything, that's irrelevant to the specific deal. For example, using B-class numbers for a C-class property or a C-minus property. Well, we're going to do a value add. Well, not when you're in the hood, you're not. Because the hood's always going to be the hood. You're not going to value add into a B-class when you're in the hood. That doesn't make sense. Recently, I, re I heard about a deal in, uh, I was actually looking at potentially raising money for a deal in a very um, challenging town in Texas. I'll leave it at that. A very challenging town in Texas. There's no way in hell that deal is even going to perform even half of what they said. If anything, I'll be impressed if it doesn't wind up in foreclosure. Yet there's all kinds of people out there raising money for these deals so that they can add a couple, two, three hundred doors to their name and they suddenly they're a big they're a big shot. And they can go to the next conference and go, I've got nine hundred doors. Yeah, but you're still only making three hundred bucks a month. This is the things I want you to think about, folks, and be careful of. Okay. This goes back to why are you investing in this deal? What's your why? Why are you investing your capital into this deal? What's the and if you're the person raising money for this deal, why are you raising money for this deal? Do, is it because you believe in the deal? Is it because you completely understand every element of the deal and you're excited to be part of making that happen and learning? Or is it because you really just want to have 900 units in your portfolio so you can be a big shot on Facebook? Ask yourself that tough question. And if you're not happy with the honest answer, then take a step back and look at your plan. Look at how you're set up. If you get confused about that, you need some help getting unstuck, get on the phone with me. Go to cashflowguys.com forward slash book Tyler or ask Tyler or go to the cashflowguys.com website right on the front. It says ask Tyler, click the little button, get on my calendar. Let's get you pointed in the right direction. Okay. That's better than putting somebody else's money into a deal that you yourself don't understand. I know there's a lot of that going on and it terrifies me because there's going to be a lot of disappointed people. There's a lot of disappointed people right now because a lot of these people, a lot of these quote unquote deal sponsors are now starting to wash up on shore because they've been borrowing from Peter and, and robbing from Peter to pay Paul for too long and they're running out of excuses. 
And now people are getting on Facebook and, and uh, bigger pockets and LinkedIn and people are starting to squawk. That goes back to communication because when the poo-poo hits the fan, instead of communicating with the investors and saying, Hey man, I blew it. They're hiding that because they think they're a big shot and they don't want to admit that they blew it. I'm here to tell you our first investment deal blew it, blew it bad. I mean, I about dropped a biscuit when I realized what I had done, but I manned up and I called my investor and said, I made a major mistake. I did the opposite of what I know I should have done because I was excited to get a deal done and I pulled the trigger in this deal. So this deal is going to suck, but we worked it out. The investor got all their money back. Everybody's happy. We were able to save the deal and make it so nobody could, nobody lost money. But the only way that was allowed to happen without somebody freaking out on me is to pick up the phone and say, guess what? I screwed up because I'm human and I got excited. Well, it taught me a very valuable lesson and every deal I've done since then has been cautious and well done and I don't make those stupid mistakes again. I hope that if you're listening to my voice and you've been in the same situation that you've learned from it because I know I have. But the reason why I didn't wind up in hot water is because I communicated with my investors immediately and because I was open and honest with them and they knew no matter what I was going to pay them. Jill and I We'll be washing dishes at a restaurant if that's what it takes to make sure that our investors get paid back. We've got actually got investors right now that are probably tapping their feet going, come on, Tyler, quit the, stop the episode and go find me something to invest in. They're beating our door down to invest with us. And I'm here to tell you, those folks, we're working on several different opportunities right now. But for us, we don't do deals because it's cool to do deals. We do deals because they're profitable, which means it takes a while. We're always looking for opportunity. We're always looking for ways to help folks grow their money, but we're not going to have, have that conversation like I did in the beginning where, oops, I blew it. Nope, not doing that. We are conservative by nature. That said, we're smart with what we do because when we invest your money, we treat it as if it's our own. We don't squander it. We don't go traveling the world with your investment dollars. Your, your, every dollar of your investment capital goes into assets. And we prove it with paperwork, which brings me to the next point. Folks, the documentation is everything. Get your own attorney involved. Make sure you've got contracts in place so that everything is clear. If you don't like the way the paperwork is written, balk at it. Say no. It's okay to say no. Say, I'm not comfortable with this. I want this redone or have it reviewed by your own attorney. If you're dealing with a self-directed IRA, ask the IRA administrator. They'll look over it. They're not going to give you legal advice, but they're going to look over it and tell you if it meets their criteria. I would still, even if they look at it, have an attorney go through it, make sure it, the T's are crossed, the I's are dotted, everything makes sense. You should understand all elements of any specific deal that you invest in. Please promise me. If you don't invest, if you don't understand it completely, then don't invest in it. It's that simple. If the deal cannot prove itself, don't invest in it. You've heard me get on my high horse about infinite banking or whatever they come up, fancy name they come up with to, to hide the truth. But these insurance gimmicks where you're taking it, buying an insurance policy, and then borrowing against your own money. And guys, nobody understands that crap, including the people that sell it. The only thing they understand is that it may, it's, it, the commission rate is about 50%. So this insurance agent gets somewhere between 40 and 60% of your money on day one as their commission. That's why they think it's such an amazing deal. And if it was so great, why didn't they invest their own money in it? And why are they still talking to me about trying to pitch that crap? Understand that a lot of deal sponsors folks out there are doing deals for the acquisition fees because that's how they eat. See, when they do a deal with you, even if the deal doesn't make money and they front load all the fees in the front end, they get acquisition fees, kind of like a realtor does when they go sell a house to a buyer. They get paid a commission to invest your money into a deal. 
Nothing wrong with that, provided the deal works. I mean, that's just a very normal way of doing business. However, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I'm a little uncomfortable with you getting all this profit up front and I'm taking all the risk. Your profit maybe needs to wait till the back end of the deal. Maybe you get paid when this five-year thing is up. That way, if this five-year thing doesn't happen, you're going to lose like me, buddy. You've wasted all your time. Maybe you should share in that responsibility. Now, you need to know each potential failure point and the remedy the sponsor has in place for that. As you go through these deals, you go, well, it's gonna, we're going to raise the rents to 950 How are you going to raise the rents to 950 We're going to rehab the units. What are you going to do to the units? We're going to put new countertops in. So somebody's going to pay $200 a month more because there's new countertops? That's a valid question. Yes. Okay. What data points, what specific data points led you to that conclusion? And when you hear crickets, that means they're guessing. Okay. That's like pro forma cap rate. This listing I've got right now, people are freaking out. They don't understand that the numbers are accurate. I'm going to actually have to put out bullshit numbers just to get people excited about it. This thing's got a 20 cap. Then they'll be like, that's oh, too high. It's got to be something. I'm giving them accurate numbers and people are bought. Well, the numbers, something doesn't make sense. It's a seven, almost a, it's a, over a six cap listed. Well, that's got to be pro forma numbers. Nope. That's actual numbers. We are so used to being lied to as an investment society and so afraid of missing out on an opportunity that we're not paying attention to the red flags that are not only wagging in front of us, they're beating us about the head and shoulders. Don't be that person. On value add opportunities, the method of the means to add value has got to be clear. The data must support the deal sponsor's plans, which means you need to look at that data and then prove it right. Go online. You can do the same research that the deal sponsor's done. If they tell you that apartment, those apartments are going to rent for $900 a month in 18 months, then that, there should be data out there that you can find on your own to support that. It shouldn't have to be some tricky ninja secret. Well, we're going to use a reverse negative flux capacitor algorithm to do that. And your, your answer is, what the hell is that? It comes down to, we're going to put new roofs on it. Well, putting new roofs on it, guys, is not going to raise the rent unless, of course, the roofs are leaking. <laughs> but putting a new roof on a property or, is not going to raise the rent because the tenants don't give a damn how old the roof is. What they want is cable TV or a nice swimming pool or a spa or not having coin laundry or whatever. So that information should be readily available and should be easy. And I don't mean take that information from the sponsor. Go get it yourself. Prove the deal, folks. Prove the deal. Don't go out and just simply take as face value what the sponsor says. Watch out for those padded fees. Title search costs. I saw one recently. The title search, they charge over $20,000 for a title search. I hope they meant title insurance, but 20 grand for title search, that's crazy. And if it was 20 grand for title insurance, it better be a multi-million dollar property. By the way, title insurance is state regulated. So keep that in mind. Title insurance is state regulated. I believe in, in all states. I may be wrong on that, but I know in Florida and in Tennessee, it's, it's regulated by the state. So that means that it should be the same across every deal. They shouldn't be adding extra stuff to it. Be careful about that. Okay, go shop title companies, go shop a different attorney, have them compare fees and closing costs. You think, well, that's none of my business, Tyler. I'm not the sponsor of the deal. If your money is being invested in the deal, boys and girls, it is absolutely your business. Now, I'm not saying that you go out there and nickel dime them. Well, you could have saved $1.50 over here and that's my money you're spending. That's a little ridiculous. But realistically, guys, I've seen due diligence fees lately that have come over that have been $30,000 high, thirty grand. That 30000 is going into someone's pocket. You need to do the due diligence to figure out where that money's going. You should know the flow. And what I mean by that is you should know where your money is and how specifically it's being spent. Okay, If it's going directly into the syndicator's pocket on day one, that's a problem. And that's what one of the, these people I was talking about earlier is getting accused of is you deposit money with this person and they don't call you anymore. They just disappear. 
thanks for the money. We're looking for a deal. Needless to say, they're running around the country or actually around the world doing some world travel thing. So what do people naturally think? Well, they're traveling the world on my money. That may or may not be the case. Who knows? It, do you, is there any collateral in this deal? What is the secure, what, is, what type of security blanket do you have or collateral to guarantee your money? I know there's no guarantees, but wait, when something goes wrong or if something goes wrong, what is your recourse? If any, is there any recourse or are you just screwing the pooch? You got to ask yourself that question. And are you okay with that? Are you willing to put your money out and not get a lean position on the asset? Or is it going to be you and a hundred other people all fighting over who gets their piece Think of what a train wreck that could be. You need to go through those steps and understand what happens in the event of default. Remember, chances are the person that you're writing a check with is so excited about the fact that they can add 600 more doors to their belt and hang out with the cool kids at the wine bar. They're not really concerned about what happens when things go wrong, except for changing their name on Facebook and, and reopening a new account or something. Who knows? But you need to do that due diligence. You need to understand where that money is going. You need to understand what your what your recourse is, what security you have. What good is the judgment, ladies and gentlemen, if the person that you have the judgment against is broke? If there is no asset to lean or to foreclose upon, then you're screwed. I've got judgments against people right now that I can't collect because they don't have anything. Because they're already broke, which is why they ripped me off in the first place. And I can't get that money back until they get something. And here's one thing I've learned. Broke folk usually stay that way. Those are the people most likely to screw you are people that don't already have money. People that have money know how to make money without screwing people. They're less likely to screw you. That's just my opinion. But the broke folk, well, you can't get anything from them. They got nothing to lose. And ask yourself this very important question. Last thing, two things before we wrap this up is, does this investment need to be registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission? That's something you need to understand. Yes or no. Way to find that out. Get on the phone with the securities attorney and ask them. Because there's a lot of people out there doing things as joint ventures, with air quotes, that are not joint ventures. They're raising money. They're pooling people's money together against federal law. They're breaking the law. They're committing a crime by doing that. Don't get caught up in one of these schemes because you could get left holding the bag. And we would want to see that happen. If this is a buy and hold property, who is managing the asset now? That's very important. And who will be managing the asset after closing? Is it the same management company? Did they fire somebody? Are they going to fire somebody? What's the transition plan? That should be written out and it should be clear and understandable. When you say this to the board of sponsors, what's the transition plan? How do you how specifically are you going to fire one manager and do the other? And they all look at you like you've got three heads. That's probably because number one, nobody's ever asked the question because all the other ding dongs that are going through fear of missing out have never thought to or are afraid to ask questions because they don't want to be looked upon as a newbie or they don't want to sound stupid. So they keep their mouth shut. Hoping somebody will ask the question. And if you're that person who asked that question and you hear crickets, that's called a red flag, folks. That's called a we shouldn't write a check. Ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate you coming out this week and listening to the episode. I hope you found value in the episode. I hope that you take some of what I said and apply it. If you are somebody out there sponsoring deals and raising capital, then think about what I said and apply it in your business. If you're somebody that has capital to invest, I seriously hope you're taking the chance to do due diligence. Guys, if you've got deals you wanted to have looked at, you want to talk about, you want to go through the right methods to do this, get on the phone with me. Go to cashflowguys.com forward slash ask Tyler. Pull the trigger, get on my calendar, and let's help you get through this process. That's how we together learn to earn. Have a great week, guys. I got to tell you, I'm here. 
lakefront enjoying this in Tennessee. Catch up with you next week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.